I got a phone call um, to say I wasn't picked. One of the toughest phone calls I ever had. Back then, it was never pushed on us. We used to go into each other's rooms every night to talk about what we were going to do the next day, just amongst ourselves. I fucking fell forward off this high stool, completely knocked myself out. On today's Roadman Cycling Podcast, I chat with Mr. Eddie Dunbar. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roman, welcome back to a very special episode of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. I'm massively biased, but today it's one of my favorite guests. It's Mr. Eddie Dunbar. As a proud Irish man and somebody who's come up on the Irish racing scene, I have a special affinity with Eddie Dunbar. He's someone who I got a chance to watch as a promising junior, winning the junior tour twice. I think he could be the only man to win the junior tour of Ireland twice. Then going into the under-23 ranks and just illuminating those with an amazing victory in the under-23 Tour of Flanders. Going to Team Ineos via Aqua Blue on the way. And, you know, riding with the biggest team in the world. The lad from Cork riding with the biggest team in the world. But then the disappointment where, as an Irishman, I wanted to see him kicking on. I wanted to see him contesting in Grand Tours and fulfill that potential that we all know he has. But he's been passed over time and time again at Ineos. Today, I get to sit down and I get to chat with Eddie. We talk everything from drunken nights out and splitting his head open on the chip shop counter to frustration of being passed over on Team Ineos and new opportunities that lie ahead as he moves on to a new project for next season. It's a brilliant interview with one of the most down-to-earth and likable guys in the professional cycling peloton. It's my honour, it's my privilege to welcome, for the first time to the Roadman Cycling Podcast, Mr. Eddie Dunbar. Eddie Dunbar, welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Cheers, thanks for having me. How are you, Eddie, from Glamorous, Cork? Yeah, not too bad. Just back. I actually only got back from a spin about an hour ago, so um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty bollocks after that. But uh, no, I'm good. I said I'm back in Bantir for a week. Um, just came back last Friday to do a bit of training over here, and yeah, getting ready for GP Plouet this Sunday. Where's the home base these days? Is this still back and forth between Cork and South of France? Yeah, so, well, this year I haven't had, I haven't spent too much time in Ireland. Like, I come back every now and then to a training block, but, um, yeah, like, three years ago I moved to, I moved to Monaco, um, so I'm pretty much based out of there the whole time. Um, so it's just whenever I can come back, I'll come back home. I love training here. Um, it's always just nice to do a block of training or whatever, so, um, yeah, but most of the time I'm in Monaco, yeah, training over there. But there's no flat in Monaco. That's the difference. <laughs> like, I know, uh, like, we have a bunch of mutual friends and stuff, and I know you have, like, a lap around Cantorque that you, like, you're going to do chain tight back in the day for a good hard session. Like, moving to Ineos, which is obviously, you know, they've been made famous by this accumulation of marginal gains and, you know, full-on power meters all the time. Do you still ride a little bit off field when you're back home or is it all just absolutely dialed in, everything weighed, measured and, you know, taken account for now? No, I think that's why I actually like to come home. Um, just because I have like the roads here that I can tell very easily if I go out and do a session how well I'm going. Just because I did it for years of how my body felt. Uh, <laughs> now, funny you said about the the circuit I, I have here. I actually went out today. I did it three times and... Um, it was just like I hadn't done that in a while. 
and I just went off pure feel and um yeah it just kind of gives me an indicator of actually where where my condition is at because as I said Monaco is great it's super place for training the only problem is there's very very few flat roads so it's just like I guess I trained all the time where I had a good variety here down in like Bantirk and Turk area like if I want to go hilly I can go hilly if I want to go rolly it's easy if I want to go pan flat it's very easy too um and it's just like with the nature of the racing now with how hard it is you're you're on the pedals all day um so it's just like actually training back here is um it's very actually easy to replicate a race like for the a good chunk of our audience the vast vast majority of our audience aren't irish so for you know you and me the over so excuse the oversimplification of it but like cantork bantir it's an area in ireland right down the south of ireland where eddie's from and the man, I would say, you would agree, Eddie, who sort of kicked all that big movement you guys have off down there, it's Dan Corton. And, like, what is so special, the water down there with Dan Corton, that he fostered this sort of training environment, almost a high-performance environment that stood outside of the high-performance setup? Yeah, I think it was just, like, from a young age, he um, he always gave everyone the same opportunity from, like, even when they, if they were under 11, under 12, all the way up along to, um, like, junior level. Um, he gave everyone like an opportunity to be like he, he encouraged everyone to come to the club in the area you know like with, no matter like who they were what size they were what age they were you know there was none of that it was just like come in try it if you like it you like it if you don't um, you don't but he had a I think he had a great eye for talent or someone who was willing to work hard um, I think that was one of the main things that I, I kind of understood with Danny after a while um, so like if Danny tells you that someone is a good rider, the chances are he's he's a very good rider, you know. My first uh, Dan Corton experience, I was down at the Cantork three day and I was warming up and I missed the start of the Cantork three day stage one. So I'm out the back. I'm like, finish me warm up. I'm like, shit, where's the bunch gone? So I come back up. Dan Corton's still there in his car and he's like, they're gone. Like they're gone two minutes. He's like, I'll pace you back across. So I'm, he's like, hold on to the roof rack. So I'm holding on to the roof rack. He is fucking hooring around these country roads. <laughs> I was like, I'd done two bike races probably ever at this stage. So I'm going around one of the corners. We're going so fast. I've completely lost control of the steering. Like the wheels are coming off the ground going around the corners. I'm holding onto the roof rack for dear life. And I'm thinking, I'm dead. I'm dead. And somehow we got back to a straight road and I got the bike back on and rolled up to the back of the bunch. I had skid marks all over me, jocks. It was horrendous. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Danny, all right, yeah. Um, you hear a few stories like that. Um, I think that's one thing as well. Everyone in the country, when you talk about cycling, the chances are, they know who Danny is, you know. But yeah, he's look. He was he's played a massive role in my career, um, and plenty of other guys around the area as well. Because I even last was it Saturday, I went on the spin, and on the spin, you Paddy O'Brien was there, Barry Mead was there, um, Daniel Lynch was there as well. Can you be Paddy in a sprint yet? I don't think I would. I don't think I would at the moment. <laughs> uh, he, he was um, he's back in the bike training away. So all these guys are getting ready for Charnival two day. I think in two weeks. So um, they're just three lads you wouldn't want to see rocking up to the start line of the, the Charnival two day if they had any bit of condition, you know. But again, Danny had a, a massive part to play in um, in their careers as well. But it just shows the the talent that's kind of come out down from Kentork area, you know. So you've obviously gone a long, long way from Kentork to you know arguably the biggest team in the world. 
your reign at Ineos, I think for like one of the lads sent me a message there. I sent him a, an old uh, teammate yours on the Irish team, Sean McKenna, training partner of mine. I was like, oh, I'll have Eddie on the podcast later. Uh, any questions for him? And he said, <laughs> he said, does he think if he was British, he would have already won a Grand Tour by now at Ineos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, look, I think their record in Grand Tours going to speak for themselves, you know. Um, if you just look how many they've won in the last, what is it, last 12 years, kind of the sky in Neos area. But um, yeah, I guess the last few years, I, I didn't really get the opportunities in the Grand Tours that I maybe felt I should have, I could say. And um, yeah, I had that one time I did the Giro in 2019 and I think I went in on like, it was less than a week's notice I got. And uh, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And um, I just, the minute I finished, I wanted to do another one. And I actually rode quite well in the three weeks there. So it was just kind of, um, yeah, I kind of just craved to do another one. And um, it just, the opportunity never came up, unfortunately. But uh, hopefully now in the next few years that a few more doors will open in terms of Grand Tours. And uh, yeah, I can see what I can do in them races finally, you know. But like, is there a conversation goes on between, you know, you and uh, Rod Ellingsworth or Dave Brailsford? Like, why haven't you been getting those opportunities in Grand Tours? Like, you went to Tour of Switzerland last year for Carapaz. Like, you were super strong. And I think anyone who's an Irish cycling fan, you're just looking at this so frustrated because we can see what you can do in one-week races. Like, you're looking at this year, Copia Bartele, which was a stacked field. And you're winning there, you know, Tour of Hungary, you're winning there. And then you're overlooked for the Vuelta to Tour de Giro. It's like, what the fuck is going on? You give them a Grand Tour. Yeah, I think, um, like last year, I think I would have actually done the Vuelta. I was fairly, I was 90% sure I'd do that. Um, but I got COVID after Tokyo. So that kind of messed that up. But yeah, this year, I after Swiss last year, actually, I was very close to doing the Tour. It was kind of... I think it was kind of hit or miss between me and one one or two guys on the team. And um, yeah, kind of maybe after Swiss last year, um, I, 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 I rolled myself into the ground for Carapaz. Um, I think if I was kind of, if I went there maybe as a leader myself, I would have been very close to the podium if I rode for myself. But um, at the end of the day, I went there to be a helper and uh, I did that job as best as I can. And um, I was more than happy to help Carapaz win that race, you know. Um, and I think it was just... Personally, it was just nice for me to win the Young Riders jersey there as well, um, because like that that was a, a stacked field there as well in Swiss, and um, I was I was in probably the best condition I'd ever been in, and I got better after Swiss in training. I was absolutely flying, so I thought oh, maybe maybe the tour is possible. You know, I just thought, look, I'm what was I at the time? I was I was 24 at the time. I was getting better in training. I just done. I was very confident, um, and I thought it was kind of like in my head it was a no brainer to bring me um just to see what could happen not in terms of bloody winning the thing but in terms of doing a good job as a domestique you know um which i thought i could have done very well but again it just it just didn't happen and um i kind of went all in then just kind of getting ready for the volta and that was one i was training for um and i think i was fairly on track to as i said to do that but um covid kind of hampered the plans and um yeah that was that last year then kind of done really but yeah this year in the Giro as well um I was disappointed obviously to miss out on that I was again I thought I was fairly nailed on to do it I thought I was definitely I just thought I'd, I'd be one of the guys that'd go you know that I wasn't kind of in the category of well oh, should we take him should we not take him and then yeah I got a phone call to say I wouldn't be I wouldn't be racing 
um, which is probably the hardest phone call I'd ever received as a cyclist, um, being honest. Um, is it hard to pick yourself back up after that? Yeah, like I was, look, I, I'm normally a fairly positive person anyway, but I was, I was in a bad way for, for a few days actually. Yeah, just, just, I think the, one of the main things that was annoying me, I was flying. Like I was after winning copy. Um, I got a chest infection after copy. Um, like half the peloton did at that point, I think they were sick. I think it was that kind of March, April period. People probably would have seen, you know, that people were getting chest infections. They were getting stomach problems. Yeah, I kind of just took a rest, built up slowly, did like a really, really good training block in, in Monaco with Richie Port. Um, did Tor Valps, but like quit my coach and everything. We I just trained all the way up until the day before of Tor Valps. I didn't take a break into it and I rode very well there. So I was just kind of like, all right, if I actually tapered into that, I would have been, I knew what level I would have been at in the race. But um, again, in my head, I was thinking, no, if I want to be, if I want to be good in the Giro, I don't want to be going flying in the Tour of Alps, you know? Um, so yeah, it was, it was all on track. I was absolutely flying and training and uh, yeah, got a call about three days after Alps. I was up in Neov's house and we were just sat down for dinner and I got a phone call um, to say I wasn't picked. And as I said, it was, yeah, it was one of the, I couldn't believe it actually. I was one of the toughest phone calls I ever had. And um, yeah, I, they just said that, that I wasn't selected. And um, that was that was literally the long and short of it, really. That was, it was a very short phone call. And yeah, I didn't really, I just actually, I just stayed in the room for a while. I was quite upset and um, was just trying to figure out why I wasn't picked. Never, never really found that out, which I, I understand too. Um, it's professional sport, you know. You just have to kind of roll with the punches sometimes and um, just move on from it. And then, yeah, I was actually supposed to take a break, um, but then I was told a few days later I I had to do tour hungry, um, which I wasn't actually at the time when I was told I didn't want to do it. I'll be honest with that because I just I just like I I just need a week off just to fucking <laughs> yeah just take this all in you know and um, I was flying in training so I just thought to myself look I can go there and I can win the race so why not do that I think that'd be um be a good thing to do I think it'd show show good character as I said I'm always professional I do everything I'm asked I, I train very well and um, yeah I, I kept that going and um, I went to Hungary and yeah just waited till that last day the boys did a super job we only had we only had five guys there so yeah i went and um won the gc would have been nice to win that last stage all right but um it was 25 meters too long but heartbreaking um, yeah yeah it was um yeah it was a different feeling to copy you know it felt um yeah it just was kind of like a sweeter feeling like where copy was relief but hungry was just kind of like geez that was that was good to do that you know so moving across now to bike exchange, you know, for anyone on the outside, it looks like, you know, bike exchange culturally going over from British team to an Australian setup. But bike exchange, like I've had so many of the lads from bike exchange on the podcast, like from Matt White to Chrissy O'Yenson to Sam Bewley. And it's like, it's a very Irish vibe going on in bike exchange. Like Chrissy O'Yenson is a lot more Irish than a lot of lads bearing the Irish flag in the peloton. He's a proper Wicklow lad. You must be excited about going over there with a mix of really relaxed setup, which it seems like you'll fit in well into, but also a chance to have a crack at some Grand Tours. Yeah, like, because I kind of, I just kind of, when I kind of made a decision that, right, I, I need to, for my for my own career in EOS, it's been a great four years. I Everyone's amazing on the team. Um, 
like the riders are they're all a great bunch of lads you know i'm very friendly with all all of them and um the staff and everything they're all amazing too so um yeah it was a uh, it was actually it was a tough decision to leave don't get me wrong um because we're well looked after but um i just kind of weighing up then where would i where would i fit in best mentally and physically you know um because i'm i'm a guy i i'm relaxed enough everyone kind of knows that about me but um I like to be serious as well when when I need to be serious or I'm told right this is um this is what you have to do and um these are the races we want you to go to um and I think bike exchanges ticked all in boxes for me um just there I know a good few of the lads from just chatting to them in the peloton um I know a couple of the staff there as well um so it's like it's kind of a no brainer for me and uh, they have a good they have good crack you can see that and uh, I think that's something that kind of brings the best out of me as well when you can kind of go into the an atmosphere that's it's good fun and you kind of look forward to going into that atmosphere um as well but i think with bike exchange there they can offer me a, like a, a race program where i get i know what i'm doing from january until what the first six months and it's just like right this is what you're doing um we need to be good here this is where we expect you to be good or um get a result here or something which is um which is good because like the last few years, it's just kind of, yeah, like I, I raced a bit, but not maybe as much as I wanted or in the races I've wanted. Um, and it's kind of a bit last minute sometimes as well um, as to what I'm doing. So for me to be at my best, I need to know, right, I like, yeah, next year, all right, you need to be good in the zero. Like I need to know that in January. So I know, right, this is what I'm, this way I'm getting on my bike every day, you know, to be good in the zero or, like if you're getting ready for a tour of Volta. How does that work, Eddie? Does, do, they, do you build that into your contract early with them or is it just like a, a verbal agreement that, okay, this is your provisional calendar or is it built in where you're like, okay, I'm moving, but you need to guarantee me at least one Grand Tour opportunity per year? No, like, that's like I think, um, for instance, it's like I spoke with Bike Exchange and it's just kind of like, oh yeah, these are the races I think I can be good at, um, but these are the races maybe I need to, do in preparation to be good at that one um but i think they kind of knew that anyway um like even since i was under 23 they were a team that always kind of showed interest um in me as well so like they've watched me all up along and i think um they have a, a kind of good idea of maybe what what kind of rider i am and what kind of race program i need to be good which is good but um yeah it's more so like this in your contract that you'd be like right you kind of agree with the coaching management that this is going to be a program um, obviously it's subject to change sickness injury illness whatever but this is going to be the program and um, this is what we're going to be working towards you know and I think that's that's something that I haven't really had the last few years and I think that's something that's going to make a big difference to me um, like from a performance point of view you know and will you move coach next year as well do you coach in house with Ineos or do you use a tour party no so I'll be coached within bike exchange next year I think yeah um, most most teams now are um like very like they have their team coaches or whatever and most teams use them um like they're maybe some guys like the older guys in the peloton um they might do it themselves or they have someone that's like third party coach they have like that because they're just i don't know when, when they're a bit older you kind of know what to do but um kind of still i suppose at my age you're just um you kind of stay within the team and kind of yeah keep it just keep it within the team and um, use the coaches that they have because every every team now it's every team have good coaches and have like sports scientists, like nutritionists, um, like every, as you can see in the peloton, every team dialed in now with everything, you know? So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll yeah. be, um, 
I think I'll be coached within the team, yeah. Uh, do you enjoy going back racing for the Irish then? Yeah, I love it. Like even last week, um, it was nice that we went to a race and um, we were able to do something, you know, like we were able to, we knew we went in, we had a clear person that could win the race in Sam, you know. Um, and I think when you have that and you make it very clear that you're there to support one person, um, it gives um, it gives a lot of like confidence to the team and stuff. And I thought we rode actually very well last week, like with the riders we had. Like, I mean, I don't know if we had a quota for six riders. We only had five. Um, in the end, that six man maybe would have made a difference to Sam if we could have saved Mullen a bit earlier. Like if, like Sam was the, in my, in my opinion, Sam was the fastest there last week in the Euros, you know. But hindsight's a great thing. But if, if you look like the top three last week, first, second and third, they all had eight riders on their team, you know. We had five. Um, so, but in a race like that, having, having an extra three men would make a big difference, especially to Sam. And like this is the frustration as a cycling fan and someone still involved, you know, with racing here in Ireland. You watch Cycling Ireland being such a shit show with the Evo Pro debacle this year, just how unprofessional it is. But now you look at the current crop of riders we have, like we've you, we've Sam, who's the fastest man in the world. We've Ryan Mullen, who's fast becoming one of the best lead out men in the world. Like we've treated really big stars of the sport. And yet we're going to this these races and we're not building, we don't have an infrastructure for you guys to succeed. And it's just like, as a fan, it nearly feels like Irish soccer in the 90s where it's like, we've some of the best players in the world, but when the serious football starts, the Irish lads fuck off home and they let the big nations contest it. Like, Sam's off, like he's already won two stages in the Vuelta, probably win more before we drop this podcast. And we're going into races almost like as a bit of a holiday. Like, I'm going somewhere with this. Don't worry. It's more like I'm looking at the the course in Australia for Worlds this year, and it looks like a fucking great course for you. And I'm like, at this point now, should there not starting to be plans built around it? Like I'm thinking Cavendish and Copenhagen in 2014. Like they started planning that eight nine months out exactly what was going to happen for that race. We just never seem to have that level of prep for anything. Yeah. Um... And I think even I'm following the under 23 toward Lavenir, you know, the last few days. And I think the the group of under 23 guys we have as well um, at the moment is they're very high standard. Um, they're performing at a high level, you know. Um, yeah. And I think that's something not to be looked past, you know. Um, I think that's probably the best team they've had in Lavenir at that level, I think, since maybe we went there in 2018. When there was myself, Downey, Michael and Dara Matney, Feely, you know, it's just like... The, the level was massive there. Like all the guys we raced there um, that year, like they're winning the Tour de France now or they're getting a podium in Grand Tour. So it's just kind of like, yeah. So it's just like, it's, I even said it to um, Nico Roach the other day. I said, it's important. They look after them under 23 guys because they're good and they are very good. Um, and I've seen that. But yeah, um, it's, it's something that needs to be looked at. I think in terms of like, getting like numbers in races that just that's literally kind of on our shoulders i guess with getting uci points or whatever um so like i think in that sense i think we've qualified four guys this year for the worlds i'm not sure right now i don't think sam's points will actually count from the wealth day either because it stops like the 15th of august which is a bit annoying but um yeah i think we have four guys from the worlds um but I'm, I'm actually not even sure if there's a team going to the worlds if i'm honest um i haven't heard anything about it but yeah, look, we, as you said, we have some of the best bike riders in the world, um, like capable of racing for Ireland. And uh, yeah, I think it's 
as I said, like last week when we had six guys, you know, like that we had a quota of six guys to go and help in the race, that we had a clear person who could win the race um, and we only brought five. Um, it's just kind of like we're not giving ourselves the best opportunity to help an Irish guy do something great, you know. And just, if they think about that, how big that would have been for the country in general if Sam won the Europeans last week, you know. And it's just kind of like, it's, it's almost like it's looked past, you know. Because the rhetoric even annoys me coming out of Cycling Ireland. Like I listened to, you know, the likes of Martin Irvine talking about before the Ross, where he's managing an Irish team. And he's like, oh, you know, we're here to get experience and stuff. And you're like, you're here to win the race. You're not here to get experience. Like you've Rory Townsend on the team who goes and wins nationals three weeks later. And you're talking about getting experience at the Ross, which has dropped down from a UCI status. It's like, go and win races. The culture just doesn't seem to be there to be like, we're going to win races. We're going to put our stamp on that. Like maybe Rochi now moving into the DS, you know, bringing his wealth of experience is going to slightly change that. But it seems like it needs to be more wholesale than just one part-time director sportive to change it. Yeah, I think so. Because it's just like, whenever we kind of went to a race when, um, like I'm just talking from when we were um, under 23 or whatever, but it was just that group we had we all believed that we were one of the best. We went to that race and we all believed we were like one of the best teams in the bike race. We never had any doubt any time we put on an Irish jersey at an under-23 event in 2017 or 2018, we all believed we were one of the best teams here. And it was something I always tried to convince the lads of, you know, like, no, like we're here, like, um, just like we can all win a stage and we're all going to get an opportunity to win a stage. And I think out of the eight stages, we were top 10 six or seven times, you know. But yeah, it was it was never kind of, back then it was never pushed on us. It was kind of just like, we did it ourselves, you know. Like we like we went in, we, we used to go into each other's rooms every night at Lavenier and we used to talk about what we were going to do the next day, just amongst ourselves. Um, and then <laughs> even, yeah, it was mad. Even in like that one time we had a team time trial, in Lavenier, we rode actually quite well, and we were just, we all, it was the six of us decided what we were going to do there, you know. And um, even the last day, it was just kind of like um, I felt I could win the stage, you know. And I got the boys to ride in the front for me, and they did a, they did an amazing job, you know. We were first into the into the foot of, um, oh, what's the one with all the hairpins? I forget the name of it, but anyway, we were, and the boys, they spit the race to bits, you know. But they loved doing that, you know, and they were on. Like it was great, but like <laughs> you said, it's just it's all just it, like if you can kind of get it amongst yourself. We we all had belief at that time, um, but I think it's just trying to maybe get the people higher up to believe it too. You know, so it's like we're not going to a race anymore. Let's say, oh, geez, we're Ireland. You know, we only have two fellas in a race or a championship. It's just like no, we have four or five guys qualifying now for these races. We need to bring them and go there and actually show like we could win this race. You know, um, but as I said, it's. It's just kind of, it's, it's out of our control sometimes. Even Maddie Teggart, he's obviously like a few levels below you lads, but like Maddie getting four to Commonwealth Games. Yeah, but Maddie's a brilliant rider. And he um, like he always has been, and he's a good friend of mine, and uh, he's a he's a classy bike rider, you know. Um, he's one of the best riders I know out of any peloton who, who can ride a bunch, like, as well as he can. It's incredible. You should see him in the bunch, even last week in the Euros, like, in basically a world tour field, you know. Um He's unbelievable in a bunch and he's great at positioning, you know. So it's just like, yeah, he's a great bike rider. Um, and when he needs to, he's a kind of like punchy or like if you bring him on a punchy kind of circuit, he's um, he's hard to get rid of. 
Um, so it's just like, yeah, like we have we have guys like that we can fill the spots, but it's just kind of convincing people to to do that, you know. Like even last year at the Worlds, I think we had six spots and we brought three. And what's the consensus with uh, Ben Healy? Because I know Ben Healy in Irish media has been the subject of a lot of controversy because he rode the Irish Time Trial Championships this year with a British Union Jack sticker on his bike. And, you know, for anyone not aware of the cultural or historic context between Ireland and England, there hasn't exactly been friendly relations between the two countries for a long time. And Ben is born in the UK, but now declaring for Ireland. Is he accepted on the Irish squad or is there a little bit of a, you know, look, we're moved, we're, we're beyond being England's B team. We need to have our own identity now. Yeah, I've actually, I'll be honest, I've never done um, a race with Ireland with Ben, actually. So, yeah, I actually don't know. I, I was there, all right, when I, I seen all the stuff regarding nationals and whatever. Yeah, which was a bit, as you said, it was a bit controversial, you know, but I do I do think if you class yourself as Irish um, and you come to an Irish national championships, you should have the right flag on the bike. I think that's just out of respect to the country itself and the race itself, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I don't think, yeah. It's, um, yeah, as you said, I, I can I can see why the controversy was caused or whatever. Um, but as I said, I, I don't, I've, I've seen Ben in races and stuff and he's a nice guy to chat and everything and um yeah, I'm not sure it was, I don't know, was it him that put flags on the bike or the team? I think maybe it's the team, actually. But um, i seen someone had a go at JV on Twitter, I think, as well, about about the whole thing. But, um, yeah, I think that's just important, obviously, the national championships in Ireland to um, come and just have have the right equipment, you could say, and um, respect the race more so than anything. So, Eddie, as you can imagine, uh, Irish, you know, one of our big superstars, homegrown, I came up racing against you. Actually, a funny story. I remember your Ross stage win uh, on the Irish team, the one we went over Mount Leinster that day. I had a part in that stage win that you won't know. You were, you went, we went into the bottom of Mount Leinster. You went in well positioned, but about two, three bike lengths back from you, there was me and Matteo Sagala. And we went across a cattle grid just at the bottom of Mount Leinster, Matteo went to accelerate, snapped his chain, brought me down, and we like roadblocked the whole road. And you and the Aussie <laughs> lads went clear, and only a few lads got back across to you. So that's like a little, my little part in your stage win that day. I was actually, funny now when you think back, I was wondering how like it actually split so easily because I expected a bit more to be a bigger group over the top, but. I actually I remember that. And I was like, I think Dowling was there for a while. He got through. Yeah, there was one other. I think all the Aussies got through. Yeah. There was a few lads coursing us on the ground. Yeah, I bet you. Right, the steep bit, wasn't it? Yeah, right there. Like, right, like, yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah I remember that now, actually. I, I heard it, I should say. Yeah, I didn't see it, but I heard it. I'd say that stage win cost you a few quid that day, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> no, as I said, it was. Um, I remember I was just like, I ain't helping these boys at all coming in the road, you know? Like, there was three of them. Like I knew they were three of the best under twenty three bike riders in the world, you know, not in Australia. These guys were three of the best in the world, you know. Um and I just like remember kind of arguing with the the Aussie DS that day as well. But I was just like, No, I I'm not um, I'm not losing this stage anyway. So I just I sat on I must have sat on for about thirty five K actually. But fuck it was even hard in the wheels, let alone like pulling. It was hard in the wheels, I remember that. Um but yeah, it was uh that was an important one to me and a lot of my family were from that area so like my granddad was like lived like 20k from there um my dad was 
buried about 20 kilometers from there in Tolo and stuff so it was uh, it meant a lot for me to win there so there was uh, there was definitely motive to win you know uh, so I knew Eddie was coming on the show today and so I reached out to some listeners for some questions for Eddie so I got a question here from a lad not sure if you know him Dylan O'Brien oh yeah I've heard of him yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Dylan is I think one of Eddie's best mates he said can you ask Eddie what happened there back in December we were out for a few points myself Eddie Dan Corton Stephen Shanahan Kevin Hayes and Barry Mead yeah so I think it was it was after I did the it was actually after we did a training camp um I we were two weeks in York or whatever I flew back to Ireland did a 5k in Newmarket um and then it was like, I don't know, the 20th, 22nd of December, 21st of December or something. And uh, I said to the lads, oh, we were all like, the lads were off work, I should say. I was back from a training camp, so I had a few easy days going into Christmas. And uh, it was around the time the pubs closed at eight. And um, we were all like, I was like oh, yeah, I'll go on the bike really early. The lads were down at like three o'clock. And uh, we were like, oh, yeah, it's grand. So we, we went out. I got back from training. Um we went into town. Dylan went straight to the pub, into the stand in Kentark, the pub is called. On his way over, he, he found Danny in the stall. So he asked Danny, would he come in? And Danny literally closed the stall, went into the... And he said, yeah, I'll be in in 20 minutes. But yeah, I got food anyway with Kevin and Stephen Shanahan. We went over um, to the stand. Then after a while, Danny came in. I was actually behind the bar pulling the pint, actually, um, for Danny as he walked in make him think I was working there but obviously he knew I wasn't um but we came in anyway sat in the corner and this is it's funny because it's only like four o'clock you know and it's just like you feel it feels like it was like nine o'clock in the evening but uh yeah we went out we were drinking a few pints of Guinness um yeah bearing in mind I hadn't really drank in about three weeks I'd say because I was on training camp in Mallorca yeah? so I was after a heavy trading block there so um the pints hit quick they had <laughs> But Danny came in, we had a good crack with him and Barry came in, he was in another bar in Kentucky, he came in to join us and uh, we, were, we were having a great crack actually and then Danny Danny looked at his watch and I think it was like half six, he said, oh, we'll go over, we'll go over the bridge for one. Danny's grand, we all left the bar anyway and we went over the bridge to a pub called Barrett's for another drink um, and then it got to like eight o'clock, we were after a few drinks and... Um, Danny just left. He was gone. So we said, oh, we'll, we'll go get some, we'll go, <laughs> we'll go get some chips. And I was like, like yeah, that'd be great. And so we left the pub. I remember we were all walking over there, happy out. Um, again, like it's only eight o'clock, you know, and it's just like, what the hell is going on? Then anyway, I got to the chipper. I went in, happy out, ordered my food, delighted myself, curry chip and cheese, chicken goujons. And the boys, Dylan and Stephen and Kevin were still deciding what they wanted. Now, in the chipper in Kentark, uh, Viking Pizza, it's called, actually. It's in the corner. There's, like, a table, but, like, with high high chairs or high stools. And uh, I was just like, oh, that looks great. Now I go over and I was sitting there while the boys order. So sat up in the stool. Dylan and Kevin, like, and Steve, actually, Kevin was outside, maybe, or he sat down. And they were just stood in front of me. And I, I just went, sat in the stool like this. And uh, <laughs> whatever happened... Um, I fucking fell forward off this high stool, went face first between Dylan and Kevin and completely split my head open <laughs> off, off the chipper counter. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> completely, <laughs> completely knocked myself out. And I just, 
I remember like fucking the scene stars. I was like fucking hell, and uh, I just all I remember was um, Dylan. Uh, fucking, he just picked me up by the jumper like that, and uh, I was just like in shock. I was like Jesus, and I looked and the fella behind the counter was just like fucking hell, Jesus Christ, <laughs> and uh, I was just like I couldn't. And then after that, I I I, fucking, I, I don't really know. I can't remember anything. I was completely knocked out. I had proper gash. I probably needed stitches, but Neve, Neve was collecting us and she was saying, um, she was saying, I think I need to take you to hospital. You need stitches. And uh, the lads were like, no, he's fine. He's fine. And she was just like, there was just, like, there was just blood coming from my head. And they were like, oh, he's bad. He's fine. He's fine. And uh, in the end, it was fine. I went back and uh, Neve put, thankfully Neve put scary strips on it. That kind of saved, um, saved me getting stitches, I think. But uh, I woke up the next day with a fairly sore head and it wasn't it wasn't from the Guinness but um I was, I was I was actually concussed so I was just like I was proper I was proper knocked out like because I, I said to Dylan if he wasn't there I don't think I would have got up I couldn't have got up he just pulled me up and I had no choice but to stand but um and then I just remember I remember I woke up at like I was in bed yeah at home in bed by nine o'clock or something and I just can't I just woke up at like three in the morning wide awake because I was after like eight hours sleep already because we were out so early, and I was just like to Dylan, I was like, fuck, damn, gee, I was like, my head all right, I was like, my head's really sore, he just, he was telling me then, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, I, I'm a bit more careful when I go into chippers now, all right, but um, it was funny, actually, in, in Kentark now, if you walk into that chipper, <laughs> it's like, there's like a, there's like yellow um, tape across it for no one to sit down, so maybe, maybe I wasn't the first, I was the first and last to do that, but uh, yeah, it was, it was funny, all right, yeah. Uh, I love that. Uh, right, Eddie, finish up. I, I want to finish up with a few questions. So little known fact, my mom's actually from Cork. I spend a lot of time down in Cork. So I've put together a few Cork-only questions to test, are you actually truly Cork? Or are you going to showbiz down in Monaco these days? So it's like, question one, what is a Creole? King Creole from KC's, isn't it? Where would you get one? KC's in Douglas. <laughs> Cases and Douglas indeed. Many a time I spent there with Dara Mahoney. What's a wazzy? I actually don't know that. Wazzy. Wazzy's a wasp. I think it's a Cork City one though. Gee, I would have got that. I'd say no. In Kentucky, they say wasp. All right, all right I, got you. I got you this one. What's, what's this one mean? If somebody says in a sentence, like you ask them a question and they say, I will, yeah, what do they actually mean? They won't. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely 100% won't. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie cheers man it has been a pleasure thanks for joining me cheers thanks a lot Anto cheers for that thank you for listening to today's podcast have you ever wondered how good you could actually be each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work family and social obligations but we also want to fulfil our potential in cycling okay okay maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France but for most of us this is what cycling is about so let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.